next guest is Rob Miller, who returns to join us for another in-person recording. We have a great conversation with Rob where we touch on things such as future market and consumer trends in the alcoholic beverage industry. We talk about the challenges of producing wine and people's tastes and perceptions of wine, as well as a host of other topics that you'll definitely find entertaining. Enjoy the show. We're back with another episode of the Industry Podcast. This is the first episode of 2024. Oh, yeah. How you feeling? Well... Probably hung over. <laughs> There's a little bit inside baseball behind the scenes work there. It's like we are actually recording this in December, but <laughs> of 2023. But you will be listening to it in January of 2024. So we're assuming we'll be hung over. I'm assuming right by now that the uh, Michigan Wolverines will be the national champions in college <laughs> football. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, how's the lead-up coming up to uh, through the Christmas holidays for bars and stuff? Christmas was great, except for one, as we know, who was announced yeah. in the last episode, obviously, that the Argyle will be shutting down. But uh, So, adieu to that. But, uh, yeah, the Babylon Sisters was great over the holidays. Sugar Run was great over the holidays. Lots of Christmas parties. People are back out doing that again this year. 2023, that is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's great, fantastic. It's a, it was way a market improvement over the previous year. So, yeah, out of curiosity, with the Christmas parties, has that had better impact on the regular weekday, say like that Tuesday to Thursday? With the Christmas parties, yeah, uh, weeknight, we, yes, it has actually. Ironically, uh, so sometimes we will have a party booked on like a Wednesday or Thursday because uh, that's when people can get in. A lot of people. Left, leave it till the last second to book it, and then those are the dates they can get, and those that works out great for us. Oh, gotcha. uh, or that's just the time they can do it. So yeah, I mean, and and also I just think people are out more. So like we've had some random like busy Wednesdays or busy Thursdays at the bar just because people are either out shopping and need a drink after, or they're they were at their staff party that was maybe not that exciting and wanted to go out for a couple <laughs> drinks after. <laughs> so. Yeah, so it, it's it's great all around, which is great because God knows what's going to happen in, Jan- in January and February. <laughs> so, yeah, squirrel that money away. That's what we do in this business, and uh, that's what I did. Um, yeah. And you? Holidays, good. Doesn't affect your work very much, I guess. Do you get some time off? Uh, luckily, since most of our clientele is European, they like to take a couple of weeks off around Christmas and New Year's. Thank goodness. Mm-hmm. So it actually makes a pretty significant impact. It's great. So that's kind of nice, actually, kind of a nice way to wind down because since we got bought by the Americans, the end of financial year is now year-end versus, like, usually March used to be when we were Canadian-owned. Hmm. Sometimes it can be a lot of work. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah, right, right between Christmas and New Year's. At least you bought yourself 200 plus dollars worth of Dylan's liqueurs for <laughs> the holiday. But. Well, that happens when you're a little bit drunk, a little bit high. <laughs> <laughs> Dad was telling me the story before we recorded tonight that... Uh, he went to buy a gift for his. Um, so like, yeah, let's just say relatives. Some in-laws. Yeah, in-laws. Yeah, yeah. yeah, relatives. We'll say relatives. Extended yeah. family extended relatives. Extended family. Yeah. They were from Italy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, thought it would be a good idea to buy them some uh, limoncello from one of our more locally based distilleries, and it turns out. Wasn't such a hot idea from according to my brother. No. And uh, $25 shipping fee, you thought you better buy a bunch of bottles, and now <laughs> looks like we'll be sipping on liqueurs before, during this podcast in the foreseeable future. Yes, and yeah. apertinos and peach brandy. I love it. Well, we have uh, 
Uh, we love to sip on the aperitivos as well. We have uh, you should come by Babylon Sisters for the Amaro flight. Lots of cool Amaros mm -hmm. going on there. Um, Sugar Run, as always, your spot for rum. And cocktails at both spots. New cocktail list at both spots. So that's at Sugar Run Bar and at Babylon Sisters Bar on Instagram. One's in Kitchener, one's in Waterloo. You can find them. As for this show, we have Zach Hanna doing the artwork at, on the Instagram page, at zachhanna.co. And uh, that is where you could direct your direct message to us, the industry podcast on Instagram, if we should be a guest on the show. Or you could email us directly, info at theindustrypodcast.club, C-L-U-B. You should also follow us. That helps. Rate, review, you know, tell us what you think of the show. Even if you think it's shit, just don't give us the shitty star rating. Oh, we get a lot of those emails. <laughs> oh. <laughs> the host is an asshole. Yeah. Actually, those are mainly for me. Yeah. It's yeah. more for my work email. Well, most of your comments we have to edit out anyway. So. Yeah, that's true. That does happen a lot, actually. So I'm, so I'm surprised that they know you're an asshole. <laughs> Anyway, someone who's not an asshole, our good friend Rob Miller is back with us this week to kick off 2024. He was on an episode recently, but we had such a good conversation that we thought we would continue it when he was available next. So, Rob, welcome back to the Industry yeah, Podcast. Yeah, this is great. Thanks yeah. for having me back. I, we must have had, you got so drunk the last time <laughs> you forgot and, you know, and signed me up again. So this yeah, is awesome. <laughs> I was like, I don't think we've had this Miller guy on yet. <laughs> the funny thing is we joked last time, it took me so long to get you on the show because I kept, I, for some reason I thought, I don't know why I, it was a miscommunication or whatever. I thought maybe you didn't want to be on the show, or you were like, why the fuck hasn't this guy invited me on the show? And now, twice in no time. Twice in two <laughs> months, yeah. I didn't know it was true, and I, that was my thought, yeah. or my line of thought was, what the fuck is wrong with me? Why is he not asking me to be on this show? I've known this guy forever. All my friends have been on the show. <laughs> 78 episodes later. I knew a busboy on the show and he hasn't asked me. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of knock busboys. That's where I started. Actually, so, we yeah. should have someone who's... Uh, that would be a good that idea for a show. Someone oh. who is like strictly uh, just just got in the industry and is a busboy. Because generally, almost everybody we've had on the show who's had uh, either service, like especially front of house experience, started as a back bar or busboy or whatever mm -hmm. you want to call it. And so many back of the house started as a dishwasher, right? So we don't really have, we tend to have people with a lot more experience on the show, but that's an interesting idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, someone that's just, that's fresh and you know, has some aspirations. And, and what, know, the, what their perspective and what they think, that how far they're going to go. Yeah. Problem is we may not be able to drink with them and that throws the whole <laughs> show into disarray. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to do the David Letterman coffee cup stuff. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> oh, I called that work at the Red Uncle. <laughs> uh, uh, my, my stepkid still refers to my, like when he sees me with a coffee cup, he's like, oh, are you having tea? Because that's what we used to have. I would just pour wine in a teacup. <laughs> Take the string on the side. Yeah. So it looks like you're always steeping it. Blow that's on it before you... Uh, I do that on, on a lot of uh, Zoom calls. I blow on the mugs. <laughs> it's the same thing when I go out to the Mennonite farm. I do the same thing. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for coming again, and thanks for, once again, bringing awesome wine. We are drinking wine from 
uh, Rob's um, import uh, company here, The Vine. Well, not your company specifically, but the one that you sell wine for. So in case anyone doesn't remember from the last episode, that is what Rob does. He sells wine. He teaches wine. Um, I don't know. We were talking a lot before we started recording, so I don't know how much of this stuff we can divulge on the show about potentially oh, yeah, anything, 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 anything we talked about. I think every, everything was, was on board. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so Rob's a male stripper now. <laughs> um, no, but you are, <laughs> you are potentially going to be teaching at the Conestoga College, doing the WSET program there. Yeah, exactly. Right? It's yeah. been something that we've, we've worked on for a while. Uh, so we're in the, the final stages of setting up. Uh, I'm going to move to uh, right after okay. this to finish that. But we're in the final stages of setting up Conestoga College as a APP or approved uh, program provider, which will allow us to facilitate the Wine Spirits Education Trust programs, so levels one, level two, level three. You know, uh, I, I don't really don't see the potential for a, a level four diploma here in town, but you know, getting in and out of Toronto to take a class is, is nightmarish. Mm. Uh, so it's, it's really, I think, going to be instrumental in helping develop the local industry, developing the young people just getting into the industry, giving them some certification, and giving them certification that's recognized worldwide. I think it's great because it's like, I mean, when I was taking the courses, you were kind of like, I don't know if you were involved with the program then or not. I think you were. Uh, you, do, you weren't in. You weren't one of my instructors, but you were taking it with uh, with Michelle Paris. That's right. Company. Yeah, That's yeah. So right. a different yeah. company, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So. Um, but they were just doing like pop ups in town, so I didn't have to drive to Toronto. I remember we were doing it at the. Like they were redoing the Walper Hotel, and mm-hmm. we were you doing it in some back room there, which was <laughs> great. But yeah, um, yeah. And so, uh, one of my old friends, David Loby, was one of my instructors, and Michelle, obviously. And uh, yeah, I, I the one thing I will say is like those programs are so valuable. I mean, obviously, for what I do, I need to buy wine for my for my businesses, but I also need to teach my staff about the wines that I buy and the basics of wine, and you like. Those courses are so great just for that. It's also great. One, the one thing I say I have always said about the WSF programs is it taught me how to buy better wine cheaper, and everybody needs that knowledge. <laughs> completely right. Like it's it's easy to just you know drink expensive wine and to say oh that wine's seventy five dollars so it must be good it must right. be quality. But you need to understand, well, what is quality, right? And it's not just about what you like. I mean, that's very important. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, that's something, you know, even as a, you know, as a wine buyer in my career, you know, and, you know, there's there's many restaurants that uh, probably have some wines I still bought because I bought wines that I like mm-hmm. based on my palate and not based on, you know, necessarily, you know, well, this made more sense budget-wise for the restaurant. This made more sense. Well, this is what the consumer who's the end you know the uh, you know the end game for that wine. With them in mind, more about uh, more about my own ego. So it's uh, yeah, I think it's very important. You know, and and you know even to this day, you know yeah I drink some some great stuff at home, but I'll I'll buy you know the ten or twelve dollar bottle of wine just to be you know just to to set those barometers and to be able to say okay, 
you know, this is what a $12 Malbec tastes like. Right. This is what a $14 bottle of wine from California tastes like. So why should I spend 30 bucks? Why should I spend a hundred bucks? Uh, and so on and so forth. That's, that's really interesting. That's smart. People should do that more often. And it's like obviously having the knowledge, but even if you don't take the courses, that's a smart thing to do for people is try the level and see what it tastes like first. Um, the, and uh, we're going to get into this later, but the problem with the, LCBO selection is so trash these days oh, and yeah. it's like my rule for after I took the courses because I used to be that guy who was like oh if it's on the top shelf it's probably the best right uh, and then I learned about spirits and uh, I learned about whiskey before I learned about wine then I was like oh I wonder if this because in whiskey it's very apparent that like you can buy cheaper stuff that's better like Pappy Van Winkle is amazing but so is Angel's Envy <laughs> you know yeah, and, and so um so then I was like, oh, does this apply to wine? And I took the course and didn't. And my rule forever was, after I took the courses, was I'm not going to buy a bottle of wine over $20. I'll challenge myself to go to the LCBO, go to Vintages, find something good for under twenty for $20 or less. And, you know, it's hit and miss. But, like, you can, if you, if you, once you know what you're looking for, it's a lot easier. And once you know where, which, which countries to shop in, it's a lot easier. Yeah, right? Yeah. right? And, I mean, you need, you need to, you need to branch outside of your comfort zone. Like, I mean, look, if you're a California Cabernet Sauvignon drinker, you're going to spend gonna some money. Be, yeah. And you're going to be hard pressed to find something under $20 that, isn't perhaps you know manipulated you know it's it's chipped with oaks you know it's perhaps had some deacidification done to it it's had some some mega purple added for color uh you know there's some residual sugar there to mask deficiencies and not to knock i'm just using them as an example so with california if you're a california cab drinker and you like good stuff you're looking at 40 or 50 bucks Mm -hmm. generally and there are other reasons why that's like i mean we don't need to teach a course here tonight but like there a lot of what people don't realize is like why specifically wines cost more in certain regions than other regions. There's a million things that go into that. Well, we, um, I was lucky enough to get invited to your champagne lunch at La La's mm-hmm. Lounge the other day, and you were getting into that about why certain, like why champagne costs more in certain regions, blah, 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 or in champagne region, obviously. Um, champagne lunch. That sounds That's like, right, man. Yeah, that sounds you, like somebody did RSVP. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I told actually no. Yep. I told Kip to pass it along to you. Didn't you? <laughs> it was it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Um, I needed a big nap after that. Oh um, my god. I had a food coma too from that. Did you have the pasta? I did. It was really oh good. Yeah. But then I had to leave. Remember? Because I got an emergency. I got That's an emergency right, call in the middle of it, and I was like, Fuck so you, I, yeah. <laughs> Did you box the rest up and take it with no, you? No, I just had to split. Like I, uh, it was like a goat. It was like a go immediately. <laughs> emergency it was like why wow, i love my fucking job so much uh, um, but anyway everything worked out and i had an awesome lunch but uh yeah we were talking about that there about like the reasons why certain wines cost more from certain reasons there's so much that goes into it that a lot of people don't realize they just think oh cali cab costs this or whatever champagne costs this well there are reasons for it and there's reasons why certain wines cost more than others and it has to do thank you there's so many factors like how it's harvested um how it's aged like where the land is like like how hard it is to grow in a certain region like 
I mean, I, that's why I always feel like Ontario wine gets a bad rap because it's very hard to grow wine in Ontario, so it tends to be more expensive. Like, <laughs> oh, complete. I mean, and it's something you know, it's it's harder to grow wine here, but it's also you know a very important factor that a lot of people don't consider is that you know no matter what it is you're doing in Ontario, you you have to pay minimum wage. Right. Uh-huh. Right. So, and I mean, most wineries, I mean, you're working with the same team uh, in the vineyards because you, you don't want just, uh, you know, any uh, willy-nilly person working in your vineyards and, and messing up a, a long years of work, or a long year of, uh, of work. But minimum... Splashing, yeah, grabbing everything just, off like, Yeah. But I mean, you know, and this was, you know, it was probably just over a decade ago, uh, my first visit to, um, to Argentina. And a very large uh, Malbec producer that uh, most people know. Uh, you know, they were paying a family of four the equivalent of two dollars a day to work in their vineyards. Yeah, fuck, like. <laughs> so it's you know when people are like, "Well, I can get this wine from Argentina for for seven bucks." Well, like, well, yeah, of course you can. You want to know why? And do you want to know what the human cost is on that? Right. And you know, it's it's I've said it for for a long time. That you know, we we saw this movement in coffee, you know, where people were looking at, okay, well, what is uh, what is happening? Truly happening with the farming, and we're starting to finally see that in wine. I think it's important. Mm. But for many consumers, they're like, oh, well, okay, well, why is that wine fifty five dollars now? Well, because you actually paid a fair living wage. To people at each step of the production, and they're not—it's not like machines picking the grapes either, right? It's, so yeah. it's like you go to like a Jackson Triggs or something, or maybe that's not a good example, but you know what I mean, like some of those like like the, a yellowtail, yellowtail. Yeah, that's, that's a better example, example, yeah, 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 yeah for yeah, sure. Yeah. So or, it's just like a machine smashing the grapes off. The yeah, <laughs> so, which, yeah. yeah, and you know, there's. There's, you know, at least uh, you're not as worried about the machine putting in too many uh, hours under right, the sun. Yeah. But, you know, you know, you can understand, you know, when there's economies of scale in play, that obviously has a factor too. But for many consumers, particularly in wine, the wine industry is so segmented, more so the, uh, compared to the beer industry, where it's owned the majority, like, you know, over 95% is conglomerates, mm-hmm. right? It's the yep. same as spirits. Yep. So when you look at wine, it's not like that. Yes, there's some large companies, but the majority, overwhelming majority is smaller family-owned producers. Mm-hmm. And for family-owned producers, you know, they get one crack at it each year. They're doing the, you know, the best they can. They have a, a terrible harvest mm-hmm. or a terrible, you know, it's a, a hail storm. It's rain at inopportune times. There's Fucking a, wildfires. Wild, yeah, wildfires. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you look at the, the impact of climate change. And what the impact is going to be on their yields, it's going to drive up prices. Yeah. I mean, you know, we've seen that. We've seen that particularly in the last few years where wines that were, you know, in the high 20s are now in the high 30s. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, it's labor challenges still. It's that increased cost in labor. It's that increased cost of, uh, you know, cost of production, whether that's bottles, whether that's finding, you know, boxes, Cork, anything, everything has gone up in price, and we see that in the final cost of the bottle. And I, I get that. I totally, you know, wine is becoming more and more of a luxury product. And there's, you know, we're we're seeing whether it's a, you know, kind of a, you look at the three kind of top consuming countries in wine around the world. It's it's France, it's Italy, and Spain, and consumption patterns are declining. Mm-hmm. People are drinking less. 
younger generation is trying. I know it's hard what? to believe. I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to help on my <laughs> do my part on my end, but um, you know, people are looking at you know whether it's it's ready to drinks, it's cocktails. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a gigantic temperance movement. You know, yeah, the, the non-alcohol uh, products. Yeah, huge. Uh, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge. Like, from my perspective, you have to have them in your bars. Like, like you, yeah. you're, you're, yeah, you're leaving money on the table. If you yeah. don't. In fact, people just probably like you're. You need to have them. There's also, I mean, you know, and I, we might have touched. We probably touched on this last time. I mean, obviously, people drank more during the pandemic, so we had a mm-hmm. little bit of a boom there for a while. Um, I just kept it going. I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, here's a question for you. So, talking about like obviously California is an like a obvious example, but what are some of the other regions in the world that have been specifically affected by some of these climate issues that are like driving the cost of wine up, or perhaps even like driving wine production out of those regions? You know, but uh, that's a great question. There's a, you know, you look at many European regions, you know, even just today, uh, I was listening to a podcast out of the UK, um, and they were talking about Bordeaux. Bordeaux is, you know, they, they, when you think of fine wine producing regions in the world, you know, they're, they're one of the largest, one of the most successful for hundreds of years. Everybody knows Bordeaux. Right? Everybody they they might not know Bordeaux. what's in it, but they know about it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but there's, yeah, and there's, yeah. there is some, you know, it's been interesting in, in Bordeaux, there's been a, a real movement towards, um, you know, uh, environmental, uh, environmentally focused production, whether that's certified organics or biodynamics, it's a tough part to do so because they're, you're, you're so close to large bodies of water, so uh, you know, there's a natural disease pressure. But Bordeaux, uh, for the longest time, you know, really focused on, on five red grapes, mm-hmm. uh, you know, your Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Merlot, Malbec, and Petit Bordeaux, both, uh, both in smaller amounts. You know, just uh, over the last couple of years, they've allowed... Uh, people to plant uh, Portuguese varieties uh, because they're going to be more suited to to warming climates in the future. Hmm. So that's a that's a big. I mean, that's, that's you're, you're talking, huge, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. I mean, this is a pretty stuffy part of the world where business is done in suits. You know, there's not tasting bars open to the general populace. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very you know prestigious. Uh, area in in France, so. and they take tradition very seriously. Very much yeah, so. so it's like for them to. I see your point. Like for them to introduce well, any kind of new growing. And there's <laughs> also there's a big movement now, and I I, I forget. I, I literally had just listened to this this morning, but there's uh, there's a big movement to actually rip up about twenty percent of the vines there too, because there there just there isn't that market for it anymore, which is unfortunate because there's. There's a younger generation that's actually making some really exciting wines there. Uh, there's some really cool stuff, you know, in, in Entre Deux Mures. Uh, there's some really cool stuff in kind of the, the Saint-Emilion satellite appellations, Canon and Fronsac. Uh, like, there's, there is some great stuff that's being made that isn't the, you know, the 3 to 4% or whatever the, the total quantity is of the classified gross that we you know we're taught about in school so it's interesting to see you know when a region like that is adapting and making changes 
the original climate change is real because this is big money. This is, you know, these aren't, aren't small family run estates. Oh. They're owned by Hundreds insurance companies. They're owned, oh, by, right. they're, yeah. they're owned by large conglomerates, the LVMHs of the world. Like there's money, money there. It's not just some uh, mom and pop. And we've been doing this for 10 generations. And the other big thing in those regions uh, that I learned about more recently is like the shift to, uh, so you either have that where it's like these big conglomerates, like you say, like an oil company maybe owns this like, or whatever. There's also like big wine wineries or like wine houses. I don't know how you would describe it, but that are like trying to like I was thinking about Gerard Bertrand in um, like Southern Rhone there where he had the son uh, like switched the entire production to organic farming Mm -hmm. which is a crazy thing to do for like that for a house that's been around that long and has the production that they already have like how many plots of land does that family have like yeah and I mean there's certain parts of the world where that's an easier move right okay. if, if you've got you know especially in southern france where you've got some some very serious winds whether it's a tremontaine or the mistral wind is your friend in many aspects it can be challenging what does that mean? damaging Explain. what it does is that if you've got uh you know if you've got uh disease pressure it keeps the uh it keeps everything moving forward so there's less chance for things to settle oh, okay. uh and and potentially ruin your vine so having some wind is a great thing mm-hmm. um but yeah i mean that's a big move right uh you know it's it's funny one of the one of the brands i work with in california mcmanus uh which is uh you know it's a big winery there's no doubt about it um very, so, very popular here in town v- ridiculously popular <laughs> like if you knew how many garage codes i had here in town of people i just leave cases uh, of their wines in and, you know, we're, uh, we can edit this out if you don't want me saying this, but I always called it the Rob Miller retirement plan. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, the green box puts my kid through school. There's no doubt about it, but uh, no, you don't need to edit that out. I think anyone that knows me understands. But, I mean, uh, so when, just as an aside, I'll let you get back to that, but that's a testament to, uh, and maybe you don't hear this enough or I haven't maybe told you, but... It's a testament to how fucking good a job you've done in this in the Tri Cities at your job. Like that McMahon is your job to sell that wine, and it's everywhere. And like everyone, and not only is it everywhere, it's in all the restaurants. And now people like it's it's ubiquitous that people want it in their homes. Like I had I had you send it to my. Uh, oh, yeah, I think it was your was it your my stepson's yeah. grandmother. Yeah. Who in Stratford. Because she wanted the petit verdot, I think. Yeah, petit Syrah. Yeah. Oh, petit Syrah. Yeah, yeah, petit Syrah. Yeah, and it, yeah, and so like, congratulations, excellent, <laughs> excellent work you've done here. Like you, like the the vine should be very happy with you. Um, but anyway, get back to what you were saying about McManus. Yeah, Sorry, I just wanted to get well, that in no, there. No, it's interesting. So McManus is certified sustainable, uh, which I mean, sustainable. You know, there's it's. It's not my favorite word. Uh, why would you want to sustain something that isn't, uh, you know, isn't good for the planet? Mm. So it's not, in some aspects, it's not always regulated as a term. I think it can be greenwashing in some aspects, but not always. Explain greenwashing. Greenwashing means when you're using a term, you know, to, to make it seem like you're, you're doing the right environmental thing when most mm. of everything else you do is bullshit. Right. 
So you're just, you know, you're trying to capture, you know, it's like the, you know, to use a different analogy, it's like the, you know, when the bank puts up the rain, rainbow flag during June and the right. rest of it, it's like, oh, yeah, we're, we're, yeah. we're so pro, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but one of the things, you know, and this is a point that was brought to me recently and, uh, you know, it, uh, it's, it definitely has, has changed some of my opinion on that is that, so McManus has recently, uh, and with their new vintage, dropped uh, the weight of their bottles by about 30%. Mm. So when a company of that scale can have that impact, that's more than like 30 of our, if, uh, it would take 30 of our other producers to all do the same thing, to have the same impact on the environment. Dropping just the weight of the bottle. That's interesting. And then, which is funny because or ironic, or I'm not even sure if it's ironic, but like the fact that like one of the things that even like a rudimentary wine lover looks for is like a heavy bottle. Oh, for sure. And I mean, in the late 90s and early 2000s, yeah, if you were starting out a winery and you're going to charge 200 bucks, you wanted the heaviest bottle possible. But I mean, the, the cost of shipping that you know, it's uh, and the environmental cost of shipping that that is one of the biggest uh, you know that was one of the biggest impacts um, on uh, on the environmental friendliness of a winery really so for a company like that when they can do something like that at scale yes they're not organic uh, they're doing what they can in their vineyards to you know minimize spraying so even something like cutting back has a giant impact when they can cut back on the amount of water they use water conservation, that again has a much larger, greater impact on the environment than you know the the husband and wife that are farming five acres that are doing you know biodynamic farming, which is awesome in their little plot of the world. And that's not to knock them because those are generally the wineries I look for. Right, but it's just like the bigger companies are going to have a bigger impact. It's, I mean, it's like I always like. like Whatever, I'm just going to say this, but like, it's great that we all recycle our cans of Pepsi free or whatever, <laughs> Coke Zero or whatever the fuck. That's awesome. Great. Like, I'm not saying you shouldn't do that, but when you learn that, like, there's a hundred companies in the world that are responsible for 99% of emissions, then your little recycling effort is not making that big a difference. So, <laughs> this is kind of on the scale that you're talking about. So, like, a, a, like a giant. Um, conglomerate. Well, I don't know. McManus is even a conglomerate. I know they yeah, make I mean, a lot. They make a lot of wine. It's still. Yeah. I mean, it's a, <laughs> it's a family-owned business, fifth generation. But I mean, I would the impact never, is greater. Yeah, I mean, I would never say, hey, you know, where we should go visit McManus because I mean, it looks like a wine factory. Right. You know, it's not. You know, and if you just want to see some tanks, but they make a lot of wine. It's so not romantic. It's not romantic yeah. in any way, shape, or yeah. form. But the impact that that company can have is actually, you know, it's very important. I yes. think it's, it's a story to be told. But right, and I feel the same way about Gerard Bertrand. Maybe it's easier for him to do it, but for it was an undertaking for them to switch, sure, switch everything to organic farming um, and get the certification. Now, that's the other thing that is interesting to me um, is the certification because there's so many, when we talk about... This is something that you'll be able to help us with. Natural wine, organic wine. Yeah. There's certifications for this shit, right? Yeah. Like so you can get like the whatever the symbol is on the bottle and like people can look for that stuff if it's if it's something that matters to you or um, but there are millions well, millions is maybe 
an exaggeration, but there are many, many, many wineries that are hundreds of years old that have been making wine that way forever and just not interested in paying the money to get the certification because yeah. you have to pay money for it. Oh, co- yeah. completely. Yeah. And, I mean, for, for summer, you know, particularly a lot of the producers that are going to fall into the, whether it's organic, which just means, you know, no addition of, of herbicides, pesticides, fungicides, no additions to the, uh, to the vineyard um, during the production season, or taking that a step further and doing biodynamics, yeah. uh, which is really, you know, anything, it's, it's a self-containing farm, anything, uh, inputs that you're using come from the farm itself. You're also farming by uh, the lunar calendar, which sounds kind of hocus pocus and, and a little bit weird, but no, you know, my wife will love it. Well, but I mean, like you, you think <laughs> about the impact that the moon has on on bodies of water, right? Sure. Yeah, that's you know we can we can see that, and plants are you know ninety percent plus water, so right. there there is some. Um, it does make sense in some ways, and you know there's. Generally, if you if you have a wine that's been farmed biodynamically, and many of the world's top top wines are farmed in this way, it obviously does make it does have some sort of impact, even if we're we're not there science wise for that mm-hmm. to explain. But for many of these smaller producers, that's an additional cost. Yeah, and why would they do it? Like, they, and why would like, you do it? They're there's so many. I can't. Yeah, I can't tell you how many people like you who have come to taste wine with me and like, oh, this is definitely an organic wine or a natural wine or whatever it is but they just don't want to pay for the symbol like the symbol on the label no if you're you know your your production isn't that big and you're selling your wine every year why would you just give somebody money so you can put a stamp on it it doesn't make sense right so it's um you know i you know i like i love the idea of certification i think it keeps you honest i think there's you know there it's important that way but it's also, it ties you into, you know, if you, again, if you're a small farmer and you're super dogmatic and you have a year where maybe this year you had just have to spray this a little bit, like, otherwise you're going to lose your whole crop. Mm-hmm. You know, if that's your income, what are you just going to be like, oh, well, sorry, I'm just not going to make any wine in a year because I'm, I'm organic. Like that, that to me, you know, that's your, what, sorry, kids, you're not going to school in September and yeah, like uh, we're a, not eating this way. Like, it, yeah, it's funny with shit like this because it's like, it is a business and like, it might be like a romantic family situation, like hundreds, thousands of years, whatever the, it might be a small plot of land in some area in France or Italy or whatever but it's like at the end of the day these are people trying to make a living and like you're going to do what you have to do to make your product exactly (laughs) right and you know know, compared to compared to beer compared to spirits you know like you get one shot each year to do Mm -hmm. that's it it's the hardest thing to do I can't like I couldn't imagine. Like, I mean, people are like, "Oh, would you ever own a winery?" I'm like, "Yeah, maybe if I won like twenty million, one hundred percent. If I hit sure. the fucking lotto, yeah, yeah. six yeah. commercial. It's like, yeah. like it's, yeah. it's, 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 it sounds. I didn't like, care how much money I lost. Sure, it, it would be. It sounds great. like the best job in the world if you're Brad Pitt and Angela, yeah. and Angelina Jolie. <laughs> totally. right? like, yeah, you just make another picture and everything's fine. Yeah, if you lose money, because it's yeah. I mean, it's it's a stressful job. Yeah. Like, being a farmer is a stressful job. Well, of course, in, in farming anything. And I think it's it's funny that a lot of people. Do you find that a lot of people don't make the connection between 
like making wine and farming? Oh yeah, good completely. I mean that's you know that's not just something early uh, you know of when you're young. I mean that is something that many people you know yeah. they can be drinking wine in their forties, fifties, sixties, and they don't they have an idea of it in the back of their head. But they it's don't like if somebody says, "Oh yeah, 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 it's farming," but like, yeah. no, but no, but it's fucking farming. Yeah, it's farming. <laughs> yeah. It's not an eve. I mean, you could pay me to be like, I literally yeah. could not. I remember picking a tobacco for like a summer in high Ooh, school. That's a tough job. Yeah, yeah, I did it for like six. I mean, it was good money in, yeah. in high school. But it was brutal. Yeah, you got all that tar uh, on brutal. Oh, and they, the cuts and they are like, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, like farming is not an easy gig at yeah. any, and that was yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not. Have you seen that uh, film, The Living Vine? The no, Living that's the newer one that just came yeah. out, isn't it? Yeah, no, I haven't yeah. seen that. Yeah, so Babylon Sisters did like a collab with the Princess Cinema on that. So yes. I, yeah, so I yeah. went to see it. It was really good. It, it was great. Like, I highly recommend it. I think it's like barely an hour. So you're in and out, like, but it's like all these California um, natural winemakers yep. and then the effect of the wildfires on their farming and it's it, like it will really open your eyes like keeps eyes if you don't really know that much about it and like fuck i don't know shit about it i don't i wouldn't i've never farmed a day in my life but i do but watching something like that, i do i do recognize that like making wine is farming like <laughs> but maybe you don't know that unless and this goes back to what i was going to ask you about earlier in our conversation is like how do we get this education across if people don't want to take the courses like it's that's, tough, right? <laughs> I mean, and yeah, and that's a great question. Honestly, you know, for the average consumer to sign up for even like an eight-week program, I mean, that's a lot to ask. Many people just want to understand the basics. You know, yeah. what great varieties do I need to know? I need to know a little bit about some countries, a little bit about regions, maybe a little bit about wine and food. But you, know, you can tell people, well, this wine pairs with this. And honestly, unless you spend some actual time tasting wines with food and understanding why it does or doesn't doesn't work you know it's a moot point it is because it's like even in those courses like i remember level two and there was like the introductory to food and wine pairing and basically what they tell you is well what works is the total opposite or the exact same and yeah <laughs> i mean wine and food pairing it's not super difficult like when you break wine down to its components and you're looking at you know whether that's tannins whether you're looking at sweetness levels whether you're looking at acidity when you can break it down into its components and then the same thing with the dish you know, a lot of times we just focus on the main protein but it's the sauce that has a bigger yeah. impact so when you can break it down and say okay well this fish or sorry this dish is mostly fat based or has a heavy fat component so i need a wine with some acidity that's either going to cut through that or that's going to have you know those that uh that fat is going to make the tannins in this wine taste smoother it's not it's not super super difficult mm. to do but a lot of what we're taught is, oh, well, this is foie gras, it pairs with sauterne, and, you, mm -hmm. you know, for the average consumer, they're just, like, glossy-eyed, like... Well, the other thing is, like, some people just want to drink what they will like to drink, and, and that's totally white. fine. Like, if, you, yeah. if you only yeah. drink white wine, and a red wine goes with this dish, 
You're not gonna be like, oh yeah, this is awesome. You're like, no, I fucking hate that. No, one. I'm not enjoying right? my meal. Yeah. I'm enjoying my yeah. meal. So you know, there's there is something to be said. You know, I do. I'm a big proponent of uh, of pairing wine and food, and when you do it correctly, I think it it makes it it elevates a meal. It elevates an experience. But there's also like you go for dinner with like six or eight friends, kind of thing, right? You know, everyone's ordering something different. But you might just have a couple balls of wine. You're not going to be like, oh, well, you have this, this, you know, hmm, what should we have that's going to work? Like, you're going to order some wines. You're going to eat your food. You're going to drink your wine. Everyone's going to have an awesome night. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, you can look at, if you look at, okay, well, if we order lighter reds and have a higher degree of acidity, there's probably a better chance it's going to work with a lot of things. But, you know, if the whole table drinks California Cat, just order California Cab because everyone's going to be happier. That's right. And, like, it's not like it's going to hurt your meal. No. Like, it's just, like, maybe it doesn't enhance it in the way that a, a different wine would. And I think that that's how it goes at the end of the day. Because the other thing is, like, the reason, and this is a, a bit off topic, but the reason that we were, like, going back to what we were talking about, like, a, I don't know if this, we were even recording when we were talking about this, but going back to, like, a chain-style restaurant where it's the easiest place to bring a large group of people because they have something for everyone. Well, then also, they're all going to be eating different shit. You want to share wine, they all probably want like the whatever the most common popular wine is, and they're all going to have fun. And it's not it's not going to it's not going to hurt your experience. It just might not enhance it to the level that like great food and wine pairing can. Yeah, and I mean, you know, obviously I'm in the wine trade. I love wine. You know, it's it's something I live and breathe, but Wine can also just, wine doesn't need to be the center point of the evening. I disagree. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) But when you've got 20 people out, wine doesn't need to be like the focal point. Like, I I mean, I want everyone to drink wine. I think that's amazing. But, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be, you know, you're there for for human connection. You're there to have Mm. fun. Sure. You're there to, you know, enjoy a great meal. You know, we're past past the pandemic I think yeah. like let's just get together and have a great time and you know maybe it's not the you know everyone doesn't have the the perfect wine for their for their halibut but they're drinking something they enjoy and they're having a fun time and and I again, think that's more it's, it's not going to harm the meal it's just it oh, like it's just not going to enhance it in the same way and so like it's never going to be a negative no like you could make it like a positive if you want to look at a ratio it's like a plus five instead of a zero but it's never going to be a negative five no so, unless you're and like even say say you've ordered you know halibut as a uh, as an example you know we've got this white fish dish that's coming up but I only drink red wine so you know beforehand I'm drinking red the you know the fish comes out I don't have to like every bite I have of the dish drink red wine with it I can eat my meal and then, show, wine, yeah. and then go back to the red wine, and right. everything is awesome. And right? yeah, one, well, there's, like, there's so many, like, there's such a um, move towards like tapas style eating now, too, oh, in North totally. America. So, how you, like, it's impossible to pair wine with, like, eating a, you're just a, a have, number yeah, of small dishes. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, like, you could, you know, you could just have sherry, or just, I mean, honestly, you just drink champagne all night and everything's going to be made. Yeah. <laughs> So, I mean, you can't still live by. You can't drink champagne all night, and your night's going to be great. But it's like the pocketbook, maybe not so much. So that's a good question. So, like, if you were eating a tapas style meal, would you recommend, like, just putting, like, maybe three or four different styles of wine on the table and then just letting people have at it? Yeah, I mean, I, I think generally, if you're just looking for stuff that 
Now again, it doesn't need to be the highlight, uh, but uh, you want to you want wine that's working with your dishes. You know, lighter whites, unoaked whites, probably something that's got a, a higher degree of acidity. That's something that's fresh, that's clean, that's inviting, makes you want to take another sip. And doing the same thing with reds. So whether that's you know Beaujolais, Bartolino, perhaps from Northern Italy. Uh, you know, maybe it's an Austrian red. Something that's juicy and fresh. A blau Frankish. A blau, yeah, very good, very good. And, you know, with, Spell with, that out. I want to hear that one. <laughs> no chance, but I do love that wine. B-L-A-U. And I love a Saint Laurent. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, like, you know, you can pick that style of wine, slightly chilled. And it's going to be great. Everyone's yeah. having an awesome time. Should we be chilling all wine more I, than we think yeah, we should? I, yes. I, you know, I think, I mean, any red I drink, I throw in the fridge. For yeah, I think you and I have talked about this a thousand probably, times. And you know, yeah. I probably yeah. said it to you when yeah. I poured wine to well, you. But, you I, probably but, but, I, but I always agree with you. Like, I, like <laughs> I've just gotten this headspace where I like my red wine. Like, it doesn't happen at home as much as I want to because I put it in the fridge and it's too cold. And when I go to drink it, but like, and maybe I haven't planned the evening out that carefully. Yeah. So I like, but a slight chill on red wine. I want it every time. And there's been so many times where, you know, I've gone out and the wine has been stored behind the bar and it's a little bit warm. Mm. If I've ordered a glass and it comes out and it's just like heating it up. Yeah. Well, or it's, yeah. And, you know, it's like, I'll just ask for an ice cube and people look at me and they're like, oh, what do you mean? So what do you do? I just put an ice cube. And and leave it in there? And just leave it in there or maybe even just swirl it around for a little bit. And take it out. Yeah. I mean, the fastest, the fastest, like if you've ever got a, you know, you want to drink a ball of white really fast. I mean, you can throw it nice and salt water and wait for your 20 minutes or what you can do is pour your glass put like five cubes in it swirl it take those cubes out your wine's fine in like in it's in a second and sure there's perhaps a little bit of dilution but to 98 percent of the the populace they're not going to notice that you know what they are going to notice you know and i've done this in in many restaurants and bars i've worked with where we just fill the shaker glass with ice pour the wine in strain it out right away the wine's at the the temperature you need so yes it's not the perfect mode of service but it does it more than does who cares you want the perfect mode of wine yeah (laughs) it's also i mean like look we're we're drinking fermented grape juice like yes there's a lot of pomp yeah yeah and like and uh, not to to diminish anything that you have done with your career, but like at the end of the day, we're all just drinking wine here. Let's relax. Yeah, uh, totally. I mean, like we're we're drinking. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a there's a million reasons why I love wine. I mean, I love you know I love reading books. I love to learn. I mean, and there's so much to learn about wine, and whether that's the science of it, whether that's regions, whether that's grapes, whether that's you know. Uh, history of the region that it came from mm. whether that's you know kind of a you know, you can you can make the um uh you know you can make the uh you know the art connection uh, to wine you know every year is different there's so much stuff to learn about mm. wine uh which to me is what interests me it's what it what keeps me going but it's also, you know, you drink wine because you get a little fun buzz off it. Too, and it's right? delicious. Like, and it's so delicious. fucking yeah, tasty. So just, just enjoy yeah. And just it. drink what you like. Okay, yeah. I got three more questions for you, uh, and then we'll, we'll bring this to an end. One, when did you realize that wine was going to be your passion? Do you have a moment, or do you have a year or anything? Yeah, you know, my... Um, 
I spent most, um, you know, my early part of my restaurant career working with with change. You know, I worked with uh, with Jack Astor's for a long. I mean, that was the the kind of entry. What kind of wine was selling at Jack Astor's? Uh, Jackson Triggs, probably some okay, so this, this stuff you see yeah. advertised. Yeah. I didn't like wine at that point. It was the, I was uh, oh, you really? know, in fact one of the first wines from there that actually liked was Fetzer Gewürztraminer from California. I can't believe it even had a Gewürztraminer. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, and, and this is like, we're talking the 90s, so this is a while ago. What I, I liked about it was that it was a little bit sweet, it was a little bit off-dry, so for someone that's a novice that, you know, was drinking Ryan Cokes and Smirnoff Ice at the time, it was a stepping, you know, it was a stepping stone. Um, it was also cool to say, like just being able to say, oh, that's a Gewürztraminer. Like I felt cooler mm-hmm. than I obviously was. But I mean, I started with the Jack Astors. You know, I opened up the first four milestones in the province. So I, I didn't come from a wine background, but most of my friends at the time worked for fine dining restaurants in Toronto. Uh, so some very higher end places, you know, they worked with great chefs, you know, uh, they worked at Sousa, they worked at like little deal and we would get together after work and, you know, I'd bring my smart off ice and they'd bring these awesome wines. I would be like, sure. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, didn't quite get it. So I took a wine course in 1999 at George Brown college thinking, okay, if I'm, if this is what I'm going to do for a career, I need to get, I need to understand what these guys are talking about. I still remember like, tired of being a dummy. But I I still remember being so proud of being able to list the five Bordeaux red grapes for a buddy of mine that was a psalm in Toronto at the time. Uh, and how proud I was of this, you know. Which, and, you know, in hindsight, it's kind That's of a, no, but it's a big moment. Like, it, 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 was. Like, it totally yeah, was. Yeah, like you. I think that that moment is like, I mean, the, the shit that you've done to get to the level of knowledge you have is like. There's many levels where it's like, okay, fuck, this was the hardest part, but. That was the biggest part because that was like starting the fucking journey. Totally, yeah. and, and and just starting. I don't. I remember a tasting uh, specifically in and around that time. It was at Peller Estates, and you know they were saying, okay, so they poured us some wine from barrel, and they said, you know, this wine tastes like XXX and vanilla, and I could actually smell vanilla in the glass, and it was just like, oh shit. Okay, maybe there is actually something to this. Yes, and that was that was just it was a very clear cut. Yeah, it's like oh, okay, so maybe you know they're not just saying whatever they want. You know, I actually okay, I smell vanilla too. There is something going Mm -hmm. on here. So those were those were kind of two moments for me, and it's it's you know it's been a you know an an ongoing education since Mm -hmm. then. I mean, I'm still currently enrolled in wine courses. I'm still trying to learn, and it's crazy. because there's so much more to learn, and I, I love it. Like mm. I truly, truly, you, enjoy you it. obviously do, or you still wouldn't be doing it. So. Yeah, and uh, that's, you know, there's many, and I'm a huge proponent for this. I think uh, you know, with any sommelier program, there should be a recertification process. Oh yeah, like like when you get to be 65 and you have to renew your driver's license. What? Yeah. Plus, it's hard to keep up with. If you don't, like, like I, I'm not saying that I'm studying it every day anymore. So, like, my knowledge slips all the time. And, like, somebody will ask me a question at the bar, and I'm like, honestly, I would have to look it up again. Yeah. So, I agree. To be at your expert level, to be at my level, it doesn't matter. But, like, to be at 
your level, of course you should be reasonable for guidance. I do. Yeah. You know, if you're yeah. calling yourself a sommelier, you know, if you took a course in 2005 and you haven't studied anything since then, I mean, and look, and there's there's definitely an argument about certification. You know, some of the greatest sommeliers I know, uh, you know, guys like Jamie Drummond in Toronto, Peter Boyd, were not certified psalms, but they were super knowledgeable, but they also kept learning. Mm. So they may not have had the the pin, but they were they kept learning. Yeah, it's like learning. It's like doing a language. Like yeah. you, unless you you're going to lose it unless you're practicing. Totally. And yeah. the wine world changes so much. And I'm not saying you need to do the whole course over again, but there should at least be you know if you're a certifying buying uh, body for sommeliers, there should be a continuing edge. So okay, so if you took this course in 05, by 2010, you need to have taken at least three out of these 20. You know, uh, continuing ag courses because mm. the wine world continually changes. And if you're basing, you know, if you're, you know, spewing to people what you learned in 2005 as fact, why, I mean, the it's it's changed so much. I So I'm I'm a big, and that's, that's what drives me. You know, it's not because, you know, I, I mean, part of it is also I can read something and forget it. You know, I can read, yeah, <laughs> sometimes yeah, read yeah, paragraphs yeah, a few yeah. times, especially if you're drinking wine at yeah. the same time. But, you know, it's it's an ongoing field of study. All right. I got two more for you, and these are more fun. What, <laughs> it's been fun the whole time. Okay, it's it has been, but I, I, mean, I, I mean less educational. <laughs> okay, let's just say that. Like, honestly, I, I could sit here and talk to you about wine forever. That's probably why you're so quickly back on the show. <laughs> but, like, honestly, like, talking wine with you is amazing, Rob. Like, your level of knowledge is amazing, and but you don't. It's not nerdy talking with you. It's like you just, it's, it's conversational. I know you can get nerdy if you want to, but like, but, and I've been in conversations with you that are a little bit more like that. Sometimes we've been at a tasting together, but like just this kind of conversation, like I think people are going to love listening to this. So the, thanks again for coming on the show. Mm. But now we'll do a couple of fun questions. What are your favorite documentary Ooh. and about wine. what's your favorite documentary about wine and what's your favorite movie about wine that's not a documentary mm-hmm. that's a that's a good questions documentary so one that I, and, and um, I'm gonna say it's my favorite because I've watched it probably three times is uh, sour grapes that's mine which is about <laughs> I love it so wine. much yeah and it, you know again going back to you know continuing to to, to listen to podcasts you know it's interesting Rudy Kurdawan is um, is actually consulting uh, with a company now about how to, um, you know, how to detect fakes, mm, yeah, which is really interesting. Way to, just, well, way to come for full circle on yeah, that. I yeah, I mean, so Rudy Kernawan, you know, it was someone that, uh, you know, uh, let's not give it away. Let's yeah, watch Sarah yeah, Even Rick. if you're not yeah, into, it's my favorite you know, documentary about wine as well. Deep yeah. in the wine as we are, it's a great, it's a great watch because it's, it's so not, good. it's like it's super educational, but it's also like almost like a watching a murder mystery. Totally. Yeah, it's yeah, 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 totally. It's fantastic. It's so well done. Yeah. I really, they did such an amazing yeah. job with and, that. And what's your favorite film about wine? God, a film about wine. It's hard to say. I mean, people really love Sideways. I love that, Sideways. And that, yeah, and I really, <laughs> they, I mean, love Paul Giamatti. I think Sideways is a good movie. What What other good films would be where some wine is the uh, is kind of the protagonist in it? Let's see. Um, 
Mm, that's a tough. I mean, I really like Bottle Shock, but it was based on a true story. I also, but yeah, but that's a film. Yeah, uh, and, so I, and I, mean, I love that one as well. And, and I think they did a good job. I think that, I think they did too. Like, and it, and it's like super. It's also educational. So that's and it's like a, like a massive moment in wine history. Oh, completely. Yeah. I and mean, it's one of the most important. You know, yeah. based on the Judgment of Paris, and you know, it, I, yeah, I I thought that was so well done. All right. Well, you just named my favorite documentary and my two favorite <laughs> wine films. So. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> if I had picked them, I would have picked the same ones. Uh, okay, this is the last one, and I don't want you to get into a specific chateau or vineyard or house. You're on a desert island. You only have two grapes to drink the rest Ooh. of your life. One white, one red. One white. Wow. If there are only two, it's oh. Chardonnay and Pinot, because then I can also drink champagne. Ah, there it is. There it is. <laughs> Perfect. And, you know, I love Chardonnay, I love Pinot, can't always afford both the ones I like of both. Yeah. Uh, same with champagne, but those would those would probably if I had to drink them for the rest of my life, because I think you could see versatility in both. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and what about regions? Okay, well, I'll give you one more question. Like, what are your favorite wine regions? Champagne is obviously one. Cha- of them. I mean, champagne. Yeah. yeah, and I, you know, especially in the last six months, I've really been more and more excited about champagne. I think it's the most exciting wine region in terms of what's happening there these days. I've also uh, gotten way more into it recently as well. Like a lot of it through you, to be honest with you, but like also like. My love of champagne has grown so much. I was like, the problem is like you just can't crush champagne all day. Is it? But, yeah, I mean, you know, heart, heartburn aside, yeah. it's it's a pricey wine, right? Like you're you're generally starting in the seventies, so yeah. it's. Uh, but I it's I the love three champagne. H's: heartburn, hangover, hurts your wallet. Yeah, <laughs> did you just come up with that? Yeah, Man, that's amazing. Wow, that is amazing. <laughs> Um, I mean, obviously, you know, I spent a lot of time in Italy. Italy is, uh, is my, um, you know, it's my true love. You know, I think there's diversity there, no matter what it is, white, red, sparkling. There's, there's amazing wines. It's okay. That's you can go ahead and say Piedmont's the best region in the world. But yeah, <laughs> Piedmont's for sure. Um, you know, Campania, I think, pardon me, uh, Sicilia for sure, um, there's great wine across the country. Like, I love Italy. I love the people. I like the food. I like the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But Italy, but, uh, I mean, it's, for me, you know, uh, even the last couple of years, it's been really eye-opening to see what's happening in the Central Coast in California. Mm. You know, from, you know, not just Santa Barbara, but as you go further inland, you know, through Lompoc. Uh, and and up that whole kind of uh, you know almost elbow at the bottom. There's some amazing wine that's being made there. Uh, some just truly truly great younger producers uh, that are, are just are knocking it out of the park. Challenges you know the the prices when they get here to Ontario. Unfortunately, yeah. Unfortunately, but um, but we're not talking about pricing right now. We're just talking about your favorites. So yeah, so yeah, I mean, you're allowed favorites, you're allowed to say that. I mean, Cal- <laughs> yeah, Southern California these days is is super hot. Italy is always hot. Piemonte, I mean, you know, I could drink Barolo and uh, you know even you know even the lesser wines, uh, you know, whether that's Barbera, Dolcetto. Give, give me a good Langate Rosso anytime. Yeah, yeah. seriously. I mean, ter- and then you don't have to wait 10 years to drink That's right. It, you too. can drink it right away. Yeah. 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 I know. All right, Rob. Always super fun. That was super fantastic. Thank you for the wine. Thank you for the conversation. We could probably do this a hundred more times. 
Maybe we should just make this more of a regular just like visit. A quarterly so, yeah, yeah. yeah, with Miller. That's actually a good idea. Yeah, we might look into that because that's yeah. this is super fun, man. I love you, dude. Um, thanks for coming on the show. Thank happy you. Happy so holidays. Much. Yeah. Oh well, happy post holidays. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully everyone. Hopefully we're still here. It's two weeks away. Yeah. Anything can happen. Fucked up place. Anything can happen. All right, man. Thanks again. Appreciate you. It's awesome. Thanks. Turn.